Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, we want to tell you welcome. I know that Keith gave a word about finding a home, but if you're a first-time guest, we want to say welcome. Church family, can we welcome any first-time guests that might be in the room? Yeah, thank you so much for coming, praying that you're blessed. Uh, my name's Cody. Uh, I'm the campus pastor of Renew Life Church Midland, just right down the road, and uh, just super honored to get to join you. As always, uh, it's so much fun to come here and uh, share, and uh, I'm excited about the word that I have today. Uh, I'm going to share a testimony. How many of you are, well, I'm not going to make you raise your hands, um, but how many of you are participating in like the prayer and fasting that we're doing for 30 days? Uh, if you are, I hope it's really going well. Um, one of the cool testimonies that I've heard this this far, uh, there's, a, there's a home church pastor in Midland who's had like a nagging shoulder injury for years and years and years. And it's kind of like a, a weird, this kind of pain that just doesn't go away. And uh, so after the very first week of the fast, it completely left and it hasn't come back. So super, super cool. I love, uh, I love the faithfulness of God. I love hearing about his faithfulness. I love seeing his faithfulness. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and I, I'm just praying that God is, is moving in you, that he's shaping you, forming you, doing some deep things in you. But uh, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're just going to dive into what I, what I want to share this morning. So, Father, I thank you for your word, that your word is true, and your word is, is um, it's perfect. And I just ask that uh, the manifestation of your word uh, would be with us today, that revelation would come to us. Holy Spirit, I invite you to uh, open our ears, that we would have ears to hear this morning what the Spirit is saying, that we would have eyes to see the things that the Spirit is is showing us, but then we would have an ability to discern uh, what you're actually breathing on in not only uh, this message, but in our lives, in this church, and in this city. Thank you for uh, for elevating us and bringing us up to places that we've never been before. And I thank you for a great anointing on this uh, this church and a great anointing on these people, one, uh, to receive, but then also to be the people that give it away. And so we thank you, Father, for helping us do more with the word than just hear it in this room only. But I thank you that we are also those that the Bible calls as doers. So we pray these things and we ask for your help today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, how many of you are in the room uh, are the kind of people that like you cherish old things? You have any like old, how many of you like collect old things? Not hoarder type stuff, but like you, you just collect old stuff, you know, like you love the old stuff. Like uh, you, I'm not calling you old, but you're just one of those that um, are like me or you say things like, you know, they just don't make movies like they used to make them. You know what I'm talking about? Like they don't make Tombstone anymore. Well, probably because they could never do it again because it was the best of all time. Um, and if you want to fight about it after church, I'll be in the parking lot. It's totally fine. Uh, we can settle it once and for all. Um, Keith will back me up, I think. So, I mean, we should be fine. Um, no, I'm serious. But, uh, you know, like country music, like they don't make country music like they used to anymore. Have anybody that agrees? You know, like if Jesus listened to country music, he would say the same thing. He's like, that's not country. It's just not. And believe me, like, I know Jesus, and he would say that. Like, he's a friend, and we, we listen to the same kind of stuff, and it's not, it's not that. Um, I, I remember being a kid. You, you had, like, so many stories. I'm sure we could just spend hours upon hours telling stories of, like, the things that you did as a kid that maybe your kids don't get to experience today, but just because it's changed. But when I was young, so young, like, young enough that obviously I could ride a bicycle, but not 
not old enough that I remember like being able to hand uh, a cashier like direct or exact change or exact money, um, or I couldn't even count the change when she gave it back to me. I was just trusting that she wasn't robbing me as like a, a, an eight-year-old kid. Uh, but I would get to go ride my bike to this place called Burger Time, and it was the greatest place ever. Uh, when I stayed at my grandma and my papa's house, like awesome stuff happened. We either went to Burger Time or we went to Arby's. Burger Time's gone. Arby's still exists, so I still go to Arby's and honor my grandpa. Uh, but Burger Time was this really, really cool place. And as a kid, like, I thought it was amazing because it was like this 50s diner style place. You know, like when you, you, you there's like a bar that you could sit at with the little spinny uh, bar stools that were in the ground so you couldn't move them. Like, they had the best cheeseburgers in the world. You could get like a cheeseburger, you get a strawberry shake because that's what the Lord's breathing on. And I love strawberry stuff. And uh, like, I'm fasting sugar. And so I'm tormenting myself right now. Anyways, um, it's a sick game that I play. Uh, but I loved Burger Time. Like, it's such a great treat and such a cool thing. And I wish so much, and we say these things all the time, like, oh, I wish my kids could experience some of those kinds of things. It's just not the same anymore. Like, things have changed, right? Things have changed in a lot of aspects of our life, right? The places that we grew up, they're just not the same. Uh, the ways that you view things, it's just not the same. Football, it's just not the same. Have anybody, anybody that's a football fan in the room, like, it's, like, the days of my Ditka, they're gone, right? Like, the days of receivers being afraid to run across the middle because, like, guys like Ray Lewis were waiting on them, they're just gone. They're not coming back. I love to, like, go back and watch ESPN Classics or, like, on an NFL network, they play, like, the old flashback games where people are just getting destroyed left and right and coaches are hollering at people and grabbing players by the face mask because they're not afraid of rich, rich football players that are sitting on the bench. I love that kind of thing. It just it does something to my soul. I love the old stuff. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Uh, the thing about old stuff is this. Um, it's difficult to make old things relevant, right? It's hard to make things relevant that are, that are old, that have lost their, their luster, so to speak, that have lost their relevancy. It's, it's hard to bring those things back. And people do try, right, especially like in fashion. You know, like mom jeans, it's, try, it's, it's struggling, but it's trying. You know, like, uh, like some hairstyles, they should never come. Fanny packs, they shouldn't. They, shouldn't. they just don't. You know, like... like Truck stop t-shirts, they, they shouldn't either. There's these things that are trying to come back. They're trying to be relevant, but they just, they need to be else, like your pastor just said, die. Uh, one of the most controversial things in scripture and in the body of Christ and Christianity is, is the Old Testament and the Old Testament's relevance and how the Old Testament is relevant to us today. Uh, as people who are sitting under the new covenant of grace, uh, what is the purpose of the Old Testament? Is it that I have uh, really cool things that I can talk about as it pertains to history? Uh, is it there so that we can tell our, our kids, like, <laughs> I saw the funniest meme. It was this lady's face that she's, like, really, really ticked off. And she's like, your wife, when she, when, you're, it, it was uh, Jonah's wife while he's describing that he was in a whale's belly for three days. Like, what is the Old Testament for? Is that we can tell crazy old stories like this to our kids? Like, the thing about the Old Testament is that the Old Testament and the entire Bible, old and new, it is all about Jesus. Even if the name Jesus isn't, 
even mentioned in the Old Testament. It was all pointing to the finished work of Jesus on the cross that you and I could actually sit or stand in this place and actually be in right standing with the Father. That's the entire purpose, intention. Uh, that's the duration, the reasoning for the entire Old Testament. It's the reason for the whole Bible. And Jesus obviously sent to the earth to do this one thing. And it was that he would restore us back to the place of right standing, which is righteousness, is what the word righteousness even means, right standing with the Father. And so I'm going to look at John chapter 1 for a moment, super great scripture. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'd encourage you to bring your Bible to church. It's a great thing. (laughs) Get familiar with it, write in it, draw in it, all the things. It's going to be on the screen behind me. It says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, talking about Jesus. Uh, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought life to everyone. That light, the light shines in darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about this light. The one who is the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He came into the world that he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who would believe, All who believed in him and accepted him, he gave them the right to be children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human, talking about Jesus again. The word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Knowing that all scripture, Old Testament scripture, points to Jesus, it sparks a different passion to read the Old Testament because Jesus is hidden and clues about Jesus are hidden all throughout of the Old Testament. Super awesome. We're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning, and so I just want you to kind of buckle up for me just for a moment, but all scripture points to him. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 48. It's going to be a little bit of a teaching message today, and so just just track along with me. Uh, if you want to write any of these references down, please do so. Uh, Genesis chapter 48, once again, just pointing to uh, the fact that, that the Old Testament is drawing things out uh, concerning Jesus and what he did for us. But I'm going to start Genesis 48, verses 8. Uh, I'm going to read through 20, but it says this. Then Israel, uh, or Jacob, was, uh, saw, Joseph, just saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near and he kissed them and he braced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has now has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from Uh, beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the ground, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand, and he laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, super important piece right there, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, 
For Manasseh was the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all of all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these lads. Let my name be named among them. And the name of the father, and the name of the father, uh, my father is Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. In verse 17, it says, Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Super interesting story. I'm going to explain a tiny bit of, of what was going on in this moment. So uh, Manasseh is obviously the firstborn. He's the oldest. And, and, and the way that things worked in this moment is that the, that the granddad, that Jacob, would have laid his hand, his right hand of blessing on the older to, to pass his blessing down to the older of the two sons right? Uh, anytime you see right hand, anytime you see right uh, of the side, like the right side of the boat in scripture, remember when he said, have you caught anything? And they said, no, we've toiled all night, all the things. He said, cast your nets onto the right side of the boat. They put their nets on the right side, the blessed side of the boat, and they have this this catch that it begins to break their nets. Anytime that you see right hand, it's representing blessing. And in this moment, uh, their dad Joseph, he positions them perfectly so that when, 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 the, when the grandfather blesses them, that the left hand would fall on the younger and the right hand would fall on the older. And in this one moment, uh, it says that even his eyes were dim. He knew exactly what was happening. He crossed his hands and he placed the right hand of blessing on the younger son. And the left hand, which was kind of like a, a he's blessed and you too hand, uh, he put that one on the, the older son. And this is such an interesting picture because to me, it's such a symbolism and, and, and a symbolic picture of exactly what the father did to Jesus on the cross. There was this moment when Jesus is on the cross and he says, uh, why have you forsaken me? And in this moment, it was as if God took the right hand of blessing, laid it on the younger son, which is you and I, the younger sons and the younger daughters. And he laid that blessing on us and he put the left hand of Jesus knowing that it was that he had to, had to treat Jesus in such a way so that he could then treat us in a different way. He literally crossed his hands in this moment. Scripture is so full of these little, these little things that are just looking, uh, pointing us back to Jesus, back to Jesus, back to Jesus, because he's the perfect plan. He was the perfect plan. He is the perfect plan. He's always going to be the perfect plan. And the old, the old blessing is constantly pointing us to Jesus, and I love it. Um, today, I want to just continue to talk about this. I want to reveal Jesus to you uh, through a miracle of Elisha. Um, Elisha was this man who was chosen by God to kind of uh, be the successor, if you will, to Elijah, uh, S-H and a J, Elisha and Elijah. Uh, he was going to be this, this spokesman, this prophet, uh, this one who, who would just have uh, the anointing passed down to 
Um, and even the selection and how this all came to pass for Elisha, it was very unique. Uh, I think one of the interesting things about even Elisha, his name, is that it, it means God is my salvation. Remember, we're talking about the Old Testament pointing and, and looking at Jesus. And so in 1 Kings chapter 19, you can turn over there. I'm going to read out a New Living Translation. But it says this. It says, so Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First let me go and kiss my father and my mother goodbye, then I will go with you. So something interesting right off the bat is that Elisha is plowing with the 12th team of oxen. The 12th. Remember this, this, this 12. Why is this significant? Why is this here? The number 12 in Scripture, it literally represents perfection. But more specifically, it represents uh, perfect government in Scripture. If you think about even what uh, happened in the book of Acts, uh, you remember right before the Holy Spirit came, it says that they were gathered in one of the first orders of business. Is that it said that they had to replace Judas as one of the 12, perfect government. The moment that they replaced Judas... Government was reestablished, the Holy Spirit came in the mighty rushing wind. Like, so number 12 represents perfect government in Scripture. The fact that, um, that he was in charge of the 12th team of oxen is simply just a con another connecting point of Elisha's ministry to the ministry of Jesus. As Jesus is actually said in this place, uh, Isaiah prophesied this in, in, in uh, chapter 9, verse 6. He said, for us, uh, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, talking about Jesus. So we, we begin to see this connection between Elisha's life and the ministry of Jesus, uh, just a, this prophetic foreshadowing of, of what was going to come in Jesus' life. So Elisha is this, this, this man who is mentored by Elijah, and, and there's this one moment where Elijah is, is, is taken up uh, by, this, by this cloud up into heaven, and Elisha actually witnesses this with his eyes. We're going to read this in just a moment. And when he, when he witnesses it with his eyes, the scripture said that he received a double portion. And then we see him do his first miracle. So in 1 Kings chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 14, uh, are y'all still tracking with me? Everybody good? Cool. I know this is some historical type of stuff, but looking at Jesus. Uh, it says this, as they were walking along and talking, so Elisha and Elijah walking along and talking. Suddenly a chariot of fire appeared uh, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel and and as they disappeared from my sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Super wild. I just want you to think about you walking along with your mentor. It is walking down the road, and all of a sudden, chariots of fire that are that are that is pulled by chariots. Of, uh, I mean, horses of fire literally just splits you and your friend apart, and then your friend is just sucked up into heaven. Like, what in the world just happened? And then, like, the funniest expression in the Old Testament to me is they just tore their clothes off. Like, I'm frustrated, tearing my clothes. 
I'm mad, tear my shirt off. Like, we would never have a wardrobe. Like, we just live in frustration sometimes. We just always be changing clothes. Um, anyways, it says that they disappeared from his sight. Elisha tore his clothes. It, it goes on to say, Elijah then picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the rivers divided, and Elisha walked across. Super wild. Takes this cloak. He says that he receives this double portion. Takes this cloak, slams it on the water, the surface of the water. The water splits, and Elisha walks straight across it. There's another spot in Scripture, and I know you are tracking with me, uh, that talks about something similar happening where water split. Moses actually saw the Red Sea split 600 plus years before this ever even happened. Now, why is all of this, why does this even matter? Um, why does Moses parting the Red Sea have anything to do with this moment? Uh, why is this significant? It's significant because of this. The law, so the Ten Commandments that came through Moses, remember this, went up on the mountain, uh, wrote them on the tablets of stone, all of the things, delivered the Ten Commandments to the, to the people of God. Those came through Moses, which is the old covenant, right? In John chapter 1, verse 17, it says that, uh, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So I believe this. I believe that the first miracle was done for this reason, so that it could be proved that there's nothing that the law, Moses, could do that grace, Elijah, representing Jesus, couldn't do better. As if to say, you might have done this, but I will do it better and I'll do it with a double, bless, a double portion blessing on it. As if to say, there's a way that the law designed things to work and it was that you, uh, if you didn't do right, then you had to sacrifice an animal. And you can read about all of this, like even in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, it goes through all of these things. But the animal was there to atone for what you did or what you didn't do, what you said or what you didn't say, right? And in this moment, it's, it's, it's giving this, this glimpse of saying, uh, I'm actually going to take you and invite you into this new covenant with Jesus that if you will just put your trust and your faith in the finished work of him on the cross, your, your, your belief in him is the thing that establishes you in right standing with the Father. It was as if the, 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 that grace was saying, there's nothing that you can do that I can't do better. That's exactly how Jesus was approaching this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we, we see this. This is an incredibly uh, well-known scripture. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. We've heard this before. But it says this, and not that of yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You think your obedience produces blessing? You think your, your, your ability to do things right impresses God. Your obedience and your right doing is nothing in comparison to the blessing that comes through belief in Jesus. You think about Matthew chapter 6. I was thinking about this a little bit ago in first service, and the Lord was like, when he taught them how to pray, you remember this, he said, um, when you pray, don't be like the heathen does. Like they, they stand on the street corners, they stand in the synagogues, and they pray aloud so that, that they would be heard by men. You remember this? And he says, but when you pray, you go up into your room and you pray to the Father who is in the secret. 
The Father who sees in the secret, he rewards you openly. It's interesting. He says that when those, the hypocrite is what he calls them. I love how he uses language like that. He's just throwing fire at people all the time. He says, but when the hypocrite prays, they pray so that they would be heard by man. And he says, nevertheless, I tell you, they have their reward. Like there is a reward and it's just that they're seen. But he's saying, if you'll actually fall into this quiet place and you'll trust me and you'll lean into me, I will give you a different reward. The reward of Jesus is always better than your just, your act of obedience. Your faith, is a, it lends itself to you receiving a greater reward. And it's that life and that life abundantly that's talked about in John chapter 10, verse 10. Your, your, your obedience, your right doing is nothing compared to the right standing that comes only by faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. I love this about Jesus. Uh, I'm convinced that this miracle uh, was to set the tone for Elisha's ministry so that no one can say what Moses did in any way, shape, or form under the law uh, was going to be better than what Jesus was about to do under grace. Always pointing to Jesus. Uh, Look at Luke chapter 10. I'm gonna close with this story of Martha and Mary, uh, we've, we've read this so many times, and, and you've probably heard this in, in, in church a bunch, but I want to read this. It says, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has, I'm sorry, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, this sounds like our kids sometimes. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and I will, it will not be taken away from her. Martha in this moment is a picture of so many people today, right? So, uh, so many people that, 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 that do everything to look a certain way to the Lord, right? Lord, I come to church every Sunday. I'm even early. That's got to count for something. Like, I stay late. I put up a chair. I, I, Lord, did you see? Did you see that I picked up that piece of trash in the parking lot? Like, Lord, I don't cuss near like I used to. We, we constantly live in this place of, look at all that I do for you, Lord. I stopped using that one word. I, I, I got some things that I need to work on, but I don't use that, that one big word that's a real bad word any longer. Did you see that, Lord? Like, Lord, didn't you notice like all of the Christian fish symbols on the back of my windshield of my truck? I can't even see out of my, my rearview mirror, Lord. That's how much I'm in love with you. Doesn't that account for something? Doesn't that mean something to you? And what we're really saying in these moments is I deserve to be blessed because of what I'm doing. I deserve to be something because of what I did. I deserve you to be proud of me because I did the thing that your Bible actually told me to do already. Jesus, are you gonna put my report card of good deeds on your refrigerator because I'm waiting? And if you don't, it means everything to me. Like it, all of my right standing is based on what I do. That's what we're saying when we make statements like that. That's what we're saying when we have that mindset that says, didn't you see what I did? And he's asking for belief. I love this. I've heard this said so many times, but Jesus is not interested 
in what you can do. He's interested in what you will do. There's a lot of things that you can do, but will you trust that he is Lord of all? You could work yourself up into a frenzy and you could make some money, you could make ends meet, but he's saying, would you actually just lean over here and trust that I finished everything on the cross for you? I'm actually your provider and your healer. He's not interested in what you can do, he's interested in what you will do and so much of grace and understanding and receiving the grace of Jesus is all about will you trust that I actually finished everything on the cross for you? Will you actually trust that I don't have to get back up onto the cross to finish that one thing that you're constantly dealing with? Ah, sorry, I didn't actually finish it. I know you're still dealing with shame and condemnation in this one area. I know you're still dealing with a sin, Lord, uh, uh, because you fail over and over and over. Let, hold on, let me go get back on the cross. Let me actually die for everything. That's not what he's doing. He's actually waiting for you to actually walk into this place, for me to walk into this place, of fully realizing that every single thing that we've ever done was wrapped up in one moment of the cross. And he said three words that will never be erased from history. The most powerful words, it is finished. It's not being finished. It's not waiting to get finished. He's not writing a 2.0. It was finished with a period on the end of it. And he's waiting for you to actually just say, I trust you today with everything that I have so that I'm actually standing in the right place that you designed me to live before the foundations of the earth. Everything in the Old Testament points to your moment of walking into righteousness, right standing with Jesus. It was all painted for you that we would see him in a way that we've never seen him before. There's something available to you today that is better than the blessings of obedience. And it's the rewards that come through faith in Jesus. I know that we've been praying and we've been fasting and petitioning God for different things. I just wanna ask you the question just for a moment, but what is it that you have need of today? Just check in with yourself for a moment. You can close your eyes if you want to, but what is that thing that you need today? What's that thing that you've been asking for? What's that thing that you've been putting before the Lord? What is it that you need today? And then to understand this truth, whatever that thing is that you need, your hard work can't get it for you. Your 20 hours of prayer a day can't get it to you. And your crazy acts of kindness and community service, all of which are incredible, but they actually won't get it for you. There's one who did. And it's faith in Jesus that'll actually bring it to pass in your life. He's waiting for us to fall back into first love with him, where we walk into this place of remembering what it was like when we first got saved. When everything that we did was with him in mind. I brought a friend with me today. He's uh, comes to our church in Midland. He's my my barber. He's a friend. <laughs> He's wildly on fire for the Lord, and he hasn't stopped taking notes since I started preaching this morning. Like there's something that the Lord's asking us for, and it's this love, this remembrance of what was it like 
Jeremiah chapter two talks about how he's talking to the children of Israel and he says, I remember you. I remember the love that you had for me when you were in the wilderness. I remember the the way that you pursued me when you needed me. He says, I remember the love that you had for me in, in our courting relationship how you went after me, how you, how you needed, how you depended on everything that, that, that you needed for life. You depended upon it from me. And then he said, what offenses have your fathers found in me that you would go far from me? And you would actually turn the blessing of the Lord into an abomination where you would actually defile the lands that I've given you. You've actually, you've actually moved so far away. And I'm not saying that this is what we've done. I'm just asking that we would actually consider the first love moments that we've had with the Lord. What was it like when you got saved? Robert Morris literally says this, never get over getting saved. Never get over the burning passion. Never get over the, 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 the moments where feeling like you had to take a note because it might be the last time that you ever got to take notes in church. Like what, what were those moments? And, and he says, I remember all of those moments. And he's just asking for them to return. And you speed up to Revelations chapter two and he's talking about, all these things that this, the church of uh, Ephesus is doing great. And he says, nevertheless, I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. He says, remember from where you have fallen. In other words, take a moment and reflect. What, was, what were things like when I believed that Jesus was all that I needed? What were things like when I, when I had literally walked out of the darkest place of my whole life? I don't know what your story's like, but I don't know what mine was like. And I remember the moments of, of the emptiness and the feelings of, uh, I'd rather not wake up tomorrow. But I know now, and I remember then, what, what it was like to actually fall in love with Jesus. I remember what he smelt like the first time I was ever in his presence. I remember what his touch felt like the first time that I was actually even trying to resist a touch of God because I actually thought I liked the life that I was living before. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Repent. Lord, I'm sorry that I moved away from you. I'm sorry that I actually thought that there was something beyond Jesus that was going to bring satisfaction in my life. And then he just says, let's go back and do the first works. Super simple. And I think this morning he's asking, will you just fall back into that place of not what I can do, but this is what I will do. I will go back and I will do the first works. What do you need today? What do you need today? The things that you do won't get you there, but your belief in Jesus and all that he did on the cross, it will. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.